chapter seven of dr luttrell's first patient by rosa newshed carey this librivox recording is in the public domain blowing bubbles how pleasant it is to be acquainted with new and clever things aristophanes marcus certainly carried his head a little higher than usual that evening as for olivia she trod on air as she sat at her needlework later on waiting until marcus returned from his second visit to galveston house her thoughts were busy about the future marcus would soon have a large practice it was all very well for aunt madge to be sententious and say that one swallow does not make a spring but already the second harbinger of good luck had put in an appearance there was no fear of parting with martha now before long olivia was building magnificent castles the house next door to galveston house was to let it had a garden and a small conservatory and marcus had once remarked that it was just the house for a medical man the reception rooms were good and there was a capital stable supposing we were ever rich enough to take kempton lodge she said to herself marcus threw back his head and indulged in a hearty laugh when he heard where his wife's imagination had landed her kempton lodge my dear child why do you not suggest prince's gate or belgravia my own thoughts have not gone further than a new greatcoat this winter i am afraid my old one is getting a little seedy and at this remark olivia's airily constructed fabric dissolved into nothingness to blow bubbles is an enchanting pastime even with grown-up children the big bright-coloured bubbles soar into the air and look so beautiful before they burst one is gone but another takes its place just as rainbow-tinted and gorgeous there are people who blow endless bubbles until their life's end who cannot be induced to discontinue the harmless pursuit life is so hard and dreary they say the wheels of drudgery are for ever turning and grinding let us sit in the sun a little and float our fairy balls what if they are dreams and never come to anything the dreams and the sunlight have made us happy there is plenty of time in which to do our work marcus laughed at his wife's fancies but he never crushed them ruthlessly poor little livy he thought why should she not build her air castles if they make her happy and perhaps after all who knows but marcus did not finish his sentence even to himself but the next day when he went to maybrick villas to fetch his wife home he had a good deal to say about his new patients i am in luck he said as he stood warming himself before the fire while the two women watched him i thought of course when they sent for me that it was because i was the nearest doctor and that perhaps their own medical man was engaged in an imminent case like that it is impossible to wait but no it was nothing of the kind mrs stanwell told me herself she is such a nice little person livy that they have only been a few months at fairfax lodge and that before that they had lived in yorkshire being strangers in the place they were sadly perplexed on the subject of doctors 
until the nurse told her mistress that she had seen me going in and out of galveston house and this decided mrs stanwell to send for me as i was able to do the child good they are ridiculously grateful i am likely to have another patient there mrs stanwell has an aunt living with her and she is ailing i have only taken a hasty diagnosis of the case but i am going again to-morrow i am half afraid the poor old lady is in a bad way it is a long lane that has no turning marcus observed aunt madge there you must take olive away she has been wearying the past half hour to get back to dot but as they left her alone in the firelight she said to herself dear things how happy they look at their age life is so dreadfully exciting i believe myself marcus will get on he is really clever and never spares himself but i doubt if livy or i will ever be so interested in any one as we are in marcus's first patient olivia would have endorsed this sentiment readily before long mr gaythorne became an important factor in her daily life the friendship between them ripened rapidly olivia kept to her resolution of never going to galveston house unless she were specially invited but every three or four days a message from the old man reached her olivia whose only dissipation had been a weekly tea with aunt madge and a biennial call at the vicarage with or without tea according to mrs tolman's mood found these afternoons at galveston house very stimulating at first she was sorry when mr gaythorne gave up sitting in the winter garden and ensconced himself in the library but she soon changed her opinion when he began to show her his curiosities and rare prints he had so much to tell her about the birds and butterflies in the museum as he called the inner room that the hours flew past as she listened to him and it was always with real regret that she took her leave when the time came for her to go home aunt madge and marcus find me so much more interesting ever since you have taken me in hand she said once i try and repeat all you tell me but of course i forget half very often marcus helps me to remember he has read so much on these subjects you see perhaps it was this artless speech that led to mr gaythorne showing marcus a case of curious insects and dr luttrell had been so fascinated so utterly engrossed that the old man much flattered had cordially invited him into the museum marcus who had still much time on his hands often spent a pleasant hour or two with his patient mr gaythorne lent him books and gave him choice brands of cigars olivia was highly delighted at these evident marks of favour but it troubled her that mr gaythorne never liked them to come together olivia was always invited pointedly when marcus's visit had been paid and now and then he would ask dr luttrell to have a chat with him after dinner once when olivia had ventured to hint her disapproval of this he had answered with unwonted irritability i like to take my pleasures singly mrs luttrell i am sorry if i keep you from your husband i am a selfish old misanthrope i am afraid but olivia alarmed by this decided acerbity hastened to assure him that her remark had meant nothing it is so natural of me to want marcus to share my pleasure she said so sweetly that mr gaythorne was mollified 
even marcus noticed a decided improvement in his patient's manner he was less irritable and contradictory and was evidently grateful for the relief he had derived from his doctor's treatment the bare civility with which he had at first tolerated marcus soon changed into greater cordiality dr luttrell's intelligence could appreciate mr gaythorne's culture and learning before long they were on the best of terms but it was olivia who was the prime favourite when olivia's face appeared on the threshold mr gaythorne's eyes brightened under their rugged brows and his voice insensibly softened to her and her only he showed his real self he has a strange complex nature she said once to her husband he is very reserved there are some things of which he never speaks he has not once mentioned his son i should not have known he had one only i saw the name of alwyn gaythorne in a book i thought your first name was john i said rather heedlessly so it is john alwyn he returned that book belonged to my son but his voice was so constrained that i did not venture to say more depend upon it there is a mystery there marcus perhaps alwyn the younger is a nihilist returned marcus in a teasing voice probably he is at portland at the present moment undergoing his sentence no wonder poor mr gaythorne is such a recluse but olivia refused to be entertained by this badinage i am quite in earnest she returned with a grave air so you need not trouble yourself to be ridiculous marcus why should he talk so much of his daughter and never mention his only son according to you he is almost as silent on the subject of his wife oh that is different she answered hastily he once said to me that he could never bear even to hear her name mentioned that it upset him so i was a happy man as long as she lived he said so sadly but it was all up with me when i lost her she was a peacemaker she always kept things smooth her name was olivia too poor old boy was marcus's irrelevant remark at this yes he is a strange mixture went on olivia thoughtfully he has an affectionate nature but he is hard too he could be terribly hard i am sure of that and then see how good he is to those poor traverses and to aunt madge could any one be more generous and yet he is not liberal by nature that very day that he sent mrs crampton to the models with all those good things jellies and beef tea and chicken and actually two bottles of port wine he was as angry as possible with phoebe because she had broken his medicine glass mrs crampton had orders to deduct the price of the glass from her wages i always do that he said to me it teaches them to be careful but poor phoebe cried about it afterwards i call it real mean of master phoebe had said it is the first thing that ever i broke in this house and it was all through eros getting between my feet it is not the few pence i mind for we have good wages paid down on the day but i call it shabby of master to be down on a poor servant girl like that his servants don't seem to love him went on olivia they serve him well because it is their interest to do so but even mrs crampton who has been with him twenty years does not dare to contradict him anyhow he is liberal to us returned marcus patting his waistcoat pocket for he had that morning received his first cheque marcus's first act had been to go to the coal merchant and order in 
a ton of excellent coal then he had gone home and told his wife in a peremptory tone to put on her hat and jacket i'm going to take you to harvey and phelps to get a new dress and jacket he said severely i'm not going to put up with that rusty old serge any longer and olivia had remonstrated in vain against such extravagance it was all very well to blow bubbles and furnish kempton lodge from garret to basement but when it came to spending marcus's first cheque marcus dear she said imploringly my old dress is quite tidy i put new braid round it yesterday and i would so much rather you got a new grey coat even aunt madge noticed that your present one was dreadfully shabby of course i shall get a new coat too returned dr luttrell coolly then at the thought of this lavishness olivia was stricken dumb marcus made his purchases with great discretion the grey tweed and warm jacket to match suited olivia's tall supple figure perfectly he had a momentary debate with himself before he ventured on a modest black straw hat with velvet trimmings but in the end the order was given oh marcus how could you exclaimed olivia who was at fever point by this time hold your tongue livy returned marcus good-humouredly i mean my wife to be well dressed for once in her life now i must go to the tailor's for that great coat there won't be much of mr gaythorne's cheque left by the time i get home we shall want the balance for christmas groceries olivia groaned in spirit over marcus's recklessness but she could not bear to damp his enjoyment she unburdened her mind to mrs broderick the next day don't you think it would have been wiser to have put it by for a rainy day she said anxiously but aunt madge did not seem quite to share this opinion my dear she said shrewdly i think marcus knows what he is about it would never do for him to go to those good houses in a shabby great coat a little outlay is sometimes a good investment oh yes but i was thinking of the dress and jacket and that hat aunt madge ah well we must forgive marcus that extravagance it hurt his pride to see you calling at galveston house in that old serge dress he is not really improvident livy you have enough in hand for present necessities and there will be something coming in next month oh dear yes and do you know aunt madge they have sent for marcus to attend the lodger at number seventeen he is a music teacher and very respectable and can afford to pay his doctor so that is swallow number three then i am sure you can wear your new dress with an easy conscience and then olivia's last scruples vanished olivia looked so distinguished in her grey tweed that marcus made her blush by telling her that she had never looked so handsome mr gaythorne gave her an odd penetrating glance when she entered the library i hardly knew you mrs luttrell he said dryly and then his manner changed and softened that was her favourite colour he said olive was always a grey bird she liked soft subdued tints she was a bit of a puritan i often told her so i am glad you like my new dress returned olivia simply my husband chose it for me he has such good taste you need not tell me that mrs luttrell and again olivia blushed like a girl at the implied compliment mr gaythorne was looking over a portfolio of water-colour paintings olivia had not yet seen them and she was full of outspoken admiration as mr gaythorne placed one after another before her they are all the work of a young artist who died at rome he said i bought them of his widow they are very well done he had great promise poor fellow if he had lived he would have done good work these were merely pot-boilers as he called them little things he painted on the spur of the moment 
to me they are perfectly beautiful returned olivia those two are so lovely that i could not choose between them please let me look at them a little longer mr gaythorne i want to tell aunt madge about them and olivia who was always charmingly natural in her movements propped her chin on her hands and looked long and earnestly at the pictures their beauty lay in the soft rich colouring and a certain suggestiveness in the subject one was a little grey church on a hillside the church was ruinous and out of repair the churchyard full of weeds and thistles a storm had just broken and an old shepherd in a ragged smock had taken refuge in the porch his rough-looking dog at his feet the bowed figure and knotted hands and the peaceful look in the wrinkled face were wonderfully striking the patient eyes turned upwards were gazing at the rainbow tis a love-token i reckon were the words written underneath the sketch olivia could almost hear them through the parted lips ruins and thistles and weeds and a broken storm and beyond them the message of peace written on the bright tints of the rainbow for one simple heart to read aunt madge would understand that she said to herself she would like that picture best but this is just as beautiful to my mind the second sketch was equally suggestive it was a cornfield with poppies growing in it under the hedge in the cool shade lay a brown baby asleep a dish tied up in a blue handkerchief and a stone bottle lay beside the infant an old terrier kept watch over them both keeping watch and ward was the title of this picture it was certainly very well painted a breeze seemed rippling through the corn in the nook where the child lay there were festoons of honeysuckle and dog-roses and long sprays of traveller's joy the stumpy grey terrier sitting erect at his post of duty was full of significance and individuality the mother was evidently among the reapers in the far distance one would never be tired of looking at that cornfield observed olivia and though mr gaythorne smiled at her enthusiasm he would not spoil her enjoyment by pointing out to her one or two defects that he had already noticed by and by he called her to pour out the coffee mr gaythorne never indulged in afternoon tea this is not much like christmas weather he said looking out at the cold mizzling rain the forecasts promise a change however i suppose i must not ask if you dislike christmas it would not be a fair question at your age no indeed i love it dearly i have only had one sad christmas the year dear mother died it is my birthday too that makes it doubly festive i am so glad i was born on such a beautiful day that is why my second name is noel and you hold high festival on it well we cannot do much marcus and i always go to the early service that is how we begin the day and then he always has some little present on the breakfast-table it is the one day in the year we always dine with aunt madge she is such an invalid you see that very little tires her but on christmas day we first dine with her quietly and have an early tea then come home we are generally back by six o'clock and have a long evening by ourselves do you spend christmas day quite alone mr gaythorne yes quite alone he returned gloomily but i have plenty of ghosts to visit me and his face twitched and he stooped over the pictures as he spoke End of chapter seven